All right, well, we're there in uh, Genesis chapter number 16. I want you to look at verse number 1. In verse number 1, the very first phrase there says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. Now we're going we're gonna to go verse by verse through this passage tonight, but just real quickly, I want you to look at verse number 3. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 3. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian. I want you to notice what it says here. After Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. I want you to understand something that... The Abraham and Sarai, or, or Abram and Sarai, their names haven't been changed yet. We'll see that next week in the next chapter. Were promised by God that they would enter the land of Canaan. And when they entered the land of Canaan, that God would give them a seed. God would give them a child. They have now been in the land. If you look at verse 3, they've, been, they've dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan, according to verse 3. And according to verse 1, Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. They've been there for 10 years. God promised them a child. And after the 10 years, they, they still have not uh, had the child that, that God gave them. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but 10 years is a long time to wait. And uh, that's 10 Christmases. And I understand that they weren't having Christmas. But, you know, that's 10 Christmases. That's 10 Thanksgivings. That's 10 New Year's. That's 10, you know, uh, uh, all of that. And, and they were in what they considered a bad situation. They did not like the situation they were in. They did not want to continue to wait for what God had promised them. But what we see in this chapter is that uh, Abraham and Sarai and Hagar managed to take a bad situation and make it worse. And there's three distinct things we see all three characters in this chapter do where they take a situation that's already not good, already a problem, already an issue, and they actually manage to make it worse. Have you ever had something like that happen to you where you took a bad situation and made it worse? I mean, I think we could all probably uh, nod our heads to that, and, and, and if we took the time to take testimonies, you may or may not want to admit some of those situations, but we've all done that. I remember one time I was preaching at Faithful Word, and I'd driven my entire family down, and we were driving back up, and it was a Saturday, and, uh, you know, drive, we're driving from Phoenix, it's like a 12-hour drive, but when you got four little ones, the, the, the 12, it's like a 10-hour drive, and when you got four little ones, a 10-hour drive turns into like a 16-hour drive, you know what I mean? And we were driving, and, you know, we were tired, we'd been up there for a camp, for a family camp that they did, and they'd had me preached all week. I'd preached like four times that week. I was tired. My wife was tired. We were uh, just wanting to get home. We got the kids in the back. They're, you know, we've been driving for hours. They're whiny. They're crying. It was a bad situation. And as we're driving up I-5, and we're kind of in the, we're just kind of in getting out of the L.A. area, Southern California area, uh, you know, the gaslight comes on. And there's a, a, an exit there, and my wife even says, like, oh, there's an exit, you know, and I don't know why, but I just chose that I will go to the next exit. <laughs> and the only problem with that is that the next exit was like 23 miles away. And we had, enough, we had about enough gas to get us 20 miles down the road, you know what I mean? And we ended up being stranded there, and we had to call somebody to bring us gas and all of that. And I managed to make a bad situation make it worse, you know what I mean? And uh, it's not good when your kids are old enough to where they're, they're old enough to understand. What, you know, my wife's real submissive, meek and quiet spirit. She just sat there, and I think she was working on some sort of a knitting project that she had, and she just sat there and kept knitting, <laughs> you know? She didn't, say, she didn't say anything. But my sons, you know, they were laughing, and I... Uh, <laughs> spank them, you know, and 
uh, while we're waiting for the tow truck. But, you know, sometimes we make decisions and you think, why did I do that? Why didn't I just pull over? Why didn't I just, you know, do the right thing or do, you know, why? And you think, I somehow took this bad situation and made it worse. But here you have these characters taking a situation that they're not happy in, that they're not content in, that they're not excited about, and they actually figure out a way to make it worse. And and we can learn some principles because you and I have the tendency to make a bad situation worse. And I want to give you just three Quick lessons we can learn from this passage in regards to how to not make a situation worse. So here's the thing. I'm going to give you three points. I'd like you to write them down if you're able to. Point number one tonight is this. We make things worse when we overstep our reach. We make things worse when we overstep our reach. Notice what happens here. Look at verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. Now if that's true, that God has kept you, Sarai, from having a child, then it might be for a reason. It might be good for you to just wait upon the Lord. But she says, look, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. So she she, she gets this great idea. Notice what she says. I pray thee. She's talking to Abraham. And she says, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, uh, uh, Abram, to be his wife. So you got this bad situation where Sarah feels like she can't produce a child for Abram. They've been waiting ten years. God gave a problem. And then she gets this bright idea, and here's what she says. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm not going to wait on God. I'm not going to wait on the Lord. I'm going to overreach in something that God never asked me to do. And she takes this bad situation of feeling the pressure of not being able to give a child to Abraham that she feels bad about. But honestly, if it's God's will, then she's doing exactly what God has asked her to do. If the Lord is the one that's restrained her, then she's exactly where she needs to be. But then she takes that bad situation and makes it worse by basically saying, now my husband is going to have a child with another woman. My husband is going to take a handmaid of another woman. Now, we live in a culture today where that would not be accepted and that would not be uh, uh, something that, that you and I would do. Hopefully, not something that you would think about or see in our society. But you know what? Here's the point. In life, we need to be very careful to not overreach and to not overstep and to not, you know, take matters into our own hands when sometimes it feels like God just wants us to wait. When God just wants to restrain us. When God just wants to... And listen to me. I'm preaching to myself tonight. I'm a very impatient person. I don't like to wait on things. And I can tell you right now, we're in the middle of looking for a building for our church, you know. And and there are some buildings that I could go sign a lease right now. And they would be the wrong building for our church. And, you know, part of me just wants to go do that. Because I just like to be able to check things off my to-do list. You know what I mean? I like to be able to cross things off and say, check. Don't have to worry about that anymore. But here's the thing. 
you know, even, even in that, sometimes we just have to step back and sometimes we have to wait. And, and look, uh, it, you know, the situation that we read here about Sarah, you think, well, who, no one would do that today. Somebody couldn't have a child, so they would say, hey, here, here's my, uh, here's my employee, here's my servant, here's my, uh, 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 you know, neighbor. Here, why don't you have a, a child with her? But you know what? Today, here's the equivalent of that today. Someone can't have a child, so then they go and get IVF. You know what I mean? Like they go and have this procedure done where they, you know, basically have children that way. And you say, you know, should Christians be doing stuff like that? No, Christians should not. And, you know, uh, you may not know a lot about IVF, but here's, here, here's the thing. IVF, if you go and do that because you say, well, I can't have children, what you end up doing is fertilizing a bunch of eggs. And the Bible teaches us that conception is at the point of conception is life, and you basically give life to a bunch of different children, knowing that many, if not most of them, will die. I mean, that's not any better than taking the day after pill. That's not any better than abortions. And today, you have Christians that will say, well, God has restrained me, so I'm going to push the hand of God. Hey, listen to me. You make things worse when we overreach. Now, look, you want to adopt? Go for it. I think adoption is great. I'm glad that God adopted me into his family. But we need to be careful. Sometimes people say, well, I'm going to force the hand of God. Listen, Sarah, you make things worse when you overreach your authority and when you try to take matters into your own hands and when you overstep the reach and the authority that God has given you. Sometimes you will have young people that want to get married. You know, you got these young people, they're like, I'm 25 years old, I got to get married. And it's like, look, and, and I've seen it to where someone wants to get married so badly, they'll go marry an unbeliever. And it's like, hey, you're just going to make a bad situation worse. And you think, well, like this unbeliever, I mean, she's kind of cute. Or this guy's handsome. Or they have a nice car. Or they have this or they have that. Yeah, but here's what you're understanding. You have to raise children with those people. And they're not going the same direction you're going. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, and here's the point. You say, well, how do I know when I'm overreaching? How do I know when I'm overstepping? Here's how you know when you're violating clear scripture to get what you want. See, the Bible says that God gave a male and a female, and of twain he made one. Marriage was to be one man and one woman. And here you have Sarah asking Abraham to sin against God by taking a second wife, which is a sin against God. And whenever you and I decide we're going to do, you say, well, isn't it right to go do something? Isn't it right to move something? It's good to be busy, but listen to me. When you are violating the word of God, now you're just going to make things worse. I've seen people get so uh, excited or get so uh, upset about getting a job that they'll take a job that takes them away from their family or takes them away from, work, from church, you know. You want to be careful with those things, and you want to understand. Look, the Bible says this, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Sometimes, and I like you to just keep your place there in, in, uh, in Genesis, but go to Psalm 46. If you open your Bible just right in the center, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. I'm just saying sometimes, look, sometimes God leads us, and that's great. We ought to pray and say, God, do you want me to take this step? Is this something you want me to do? Can we work this out in a way where it's going to be good for our family? It's going to be good for my future. It's going to be good for my children. Those things are all great, but we want to be very careful when we try to push the hand of God and Force things when you know that God is the one that's restrained you at this point. Sometimes we need to just wait. Are you there in Psalm 46? Look at verse 10. Notice what the Bible says. Be still and know that I am God. 
Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. And you want to be careful, and I want to be careful, because oftentimes all we do is take a bad situation and make it worse. We make things worse when we overstep our reach, when we try to push the hand of God and, and, and make and force God do things on our behalf. Ishmael should have never been born. Hagar should have never been married to Abraham. But you have a situation where she says, I want this, and, I, and, and it's like, well, but you're violating scripture. And they say, I don't care. It doesn't matter. I'm going to get this done. And often we make things worse. So point number one tonight is this. We make things worse when we overstep our reach. But let me give you the second thing that makes things worse. Go, go back to Genesis 16. Look at verse number four. I said, number one, we make things worse when we overstep our reach. Number two, we make things worse when we step out of our role. We make things worse when we step out of our God-given roles or the roles that God has given us. Are you there in Genesis 16? Look at verse number 4. Notice what the Bible says. And he, that's Abraham, went in unto Hagar, that's the servant. Now notice what it says. And she, now who's the she? That's Hagar. And she conceived. And when she, that's Hagar, saw that she, that's Hagar, had conceived. So when Hagar realized, I'm with child, I have a child by Abraham, notice her, who's the her there? That's Hagar. Her mistress. Who's Hagar's mistress? That's Sarah. Her mistress was despised in her, who's the her? That's Hagar. And her eyes. See, oftentimes people will read this passage and they, because they read it quickly, they think, oh, here's what happened. Hagar conceived and got pregnant by Abraham. And then Sarah got all jealous and then despised Hagar in her eyes. But that's not what happened. The Bible says that Hagar got pregnant and then Hagar despised Sarah in Hagar's eyes. Do you understand that? You say, well, what's the problem with that? Here's what you need to understand. Hagar was the servant. Hagar was the employee. Hagar was to submit to Sarah. But what happens is when she got pregnant, she said, I've got something over Sarah. Maybe Abraham's going to love me more than Sarah. May, you know, maybe I'm going to be the mistress and she'll be the handmaid. And the Bible says that she despised Sarah in her eyes because here's what she did. She took a situation that was bad. And she stepped out of her God-given role and made it worse. That was a bad situation for Hagar. I don't think any young lady just dreams as a child that she wants to grow. I want to grow up and marry another man's husband. You know, I mean, women, girls are like, I want to find that guy that thinks I'm special, that loves me, that wants to give, you know, and here she's a slave, here she's in bondage, and she's been chosen to basically give birth to the child of her master to be raised as not her child. That's a bad situation. I feel bad for Hagar. That wasn't right for them to put her in that situation. But here's what she does. She takes a bad situation and makes it worse by stepping out of her role. She gets filled with pride. She looks down at Sarai. She, uh, she looks down at her, and she uh, despised her in her eyes. Look at verse 15. And Sarai said unto Abram, I like, I like this. This is one of my, I really like, this is one of my favorite uh, uh, passages in Scripture when it comes to husband and wives. Because notice what Sarai says to Abraham. My wrong be upon thee. I'm like, thanks. And you know, I appreciate that, you know, Abram. 
He's like, it was my idea, but you take the blame for it. I have given my maid into thy bosom, and when she, Hagar, saw that she, Hagar, had conceived, I, Sarah, was despised in her, Hagar's, eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. And Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleases thee. And when Sarah dwelt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And the angel Lord found her by the fountain of the water in the wilderness. Now she's, she's running away. And she's literally, you know, just running for her life. She's scared. And the Bible says that the angel Lord found her by the fountain of the water of the wilderness, by the fountain in the way of Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid. Notice what the angel says. He says, went. The word whence means from where comest thou and whither. The word whither means to where wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, now notice, don't miss what the angel says unto her. He says, return to thy mistress and, notice this word, submit thyself. He says, you need to get back into your God-given role, the role that God gave you. He said, you're a slave. And you know what? She's your mistress. And you need to submit yourself to her and not despise her in your eyes. Because listen to me, we make things worse when we step out of our God-given roles that God has given us. Notice verse 9 again. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. Keep your place there in Genesis 16. Go to the New Testament book of Colossians. you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Colossians chapter number 3. You have roles and I have roles. And in some of those roles, we need to submit and we will often make things worse when we step outside of our role. See, Hagar made things worse. She took a bad situation and made it worse by saying, I'm going to become the mistress. I'm going to become the boss. I'm going to become the leader. I'm going to despise Sarah, my mistress, in my eyes. And she took a bad situation and made it worse. We make things worse when we overstep our reach, when we try to move the hand of God when we try to force the hand of God and make God do things for us that God maybe is not ready to do for us right now. But we also make things worse when we step out of our roles. Are you there in Colossians 3? Look at verse number 18. Notice what the Bible says. Colossians 3 and verse 18, the Bible says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands, unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. See, God, the Bible, I know it's not popular today, but the Bible teaches that wives are submit to themselves to their husbands. The Bible says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Now, I want you to notice that phrase, as it is fit in the Lord. You know what that means? Is that you are to submit yourself to your husband as long as in your submission you are within the boundaries of the Lord. Here's what that means, ladies. Your husband can't just ask you to do anything. You know, anything he asks you to do, you are to do as long as it's not going against what God asks you to do. So as, as soon as your husband asks you to do something that violates the law of God, now we are to obey God rather than men, is what the Bible says. You don't have to li- look. if your husband says to you, you're not allowed to go to church, that's not a rule you have to follow. If your husband says to you, you're not allowed to read the Bible, that's not a rule you have to follow. If your husband says to you, I want you to help me sell crack cocaine on the street, that's not a rule you have to follow. All right. Now, if he asks you to cook him, you know, uh, pancakes for breakfast and you're like, well, you're getting waffles. Hey, you know, do what he said. Submit to him in everything as it is fit in the Lord. You understand that? 
You know, and, and that's just how authorities, you say, are we supposed to submit to the government? We, are, we should submit to the government until the government asks us to violate a law of God. Now, look, if the government tells you to drive down the road at 25 miles an hour, drive down the road at 25 miles an hour in a school zone or whatever. That doesn't violate God. But when the government says, quit preaching the gospel, guess what we do? We keep preaching the gospel. Because we are to obey God rather than men. But as long as we are in a position of submission and it's not, we're not asked to violate the law of God, then you just make those pancakes or you just make those waffles or you just put the socks on the, in the drawer that he wants or whatever it is. Just do what he said because we actually make things worse when we step out of our God-given roles. Are you there in Colossians 3? Look at verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Look at verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Look at verse 22. Servants, obey in all things. You see that servants there? Say, is God for slavery? Let me tell you something about slavery. Slavery is bad. You know, I don't think we should have slavery in America. But you know what God told slaves? He says, obey in all things your master's. According to the flesh. He said, look, you are to submit in the position that you've been put in 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 life. And look, we actually make things worse when we try to overstep and overreach. But we make things worse when we step out of the roles that God has given us. We are to obey and we are to submit in the areas that God has placed. When I was in the Air Force, when I was in boot camp, I was in the Air Force, so we had flights. And every flight had a flight chief. And the flight chief was one of us that was going through boot camp, but he had been chosen to be the leader of that flight. And, you know, his job was to make sure that he got us to where we were supposed to go. We are supposed to be marching properly. We are supposed to be doing this. We are supposed to be doing that. And every once in a while, a flight would get, you know, kind of out of control because it's just a bunch of young guys. And, you, you know, they start talking and cutting up or whatever. And every once in a while, one of those TIs, you know, one of those boot camp instructors, kind of sneak up behind a flight as they're messing around. And they would, they would always do is they, they'd come right behind the flight chief. And, you know, they wore those, those hats that, uh, you know, they wore them in a way. It's real scary. And they would look, you know, down at that flight chief. And here's what they would yell. They would, they would yell, take control of your flight. And what they were telling them is, hey, you've got this authority and you need to make sure that these people submit to you. You know, as a pastor, every once in a while, I want to walk up to some husbands and say, can you take control of your wife? Can you take control of your children? You know, hey, look, we make things worse when we step out of our God-given roles and we choose not to submit. See, the best place for Hagar to be was to be in the role of submission. And you say, but that's a bad situation to be in. And sometimes we have to go in bad situations. But listen to me, we make things worse. We make things worse when we step out of our role. So I said number one tonight, we make things worse when we overstep our reach. And I said number two, we make things worse when we step out of our roles. Let me say number three tonight. Go back to Genesis 16. Look at verse number two again. Number three, we make things worse when we pass up our responsibilities. We make things worse when we pass up our responsibilities. Notice what the Bible says, Genesis 16 and verse 2. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. Now notice, notice this phrase. Every, every husband ought to underline this phrase in the Bible. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. 
You know what's wrong with this chapter? Is that Abraham was supposed to be in charge. He was supposed to be the leader. And he basically is taking orders from those that are stepping out of their roles. And he's passing up responsibility and just doing what the followers tell him to do. He is hearkening to the voice of Sarah when Sarah is supposed to be hearkening to the voice of Abraham. And here's what's interesting about that. Keep your place there in Genesis 16. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. See, we're still in the book of Genesis. And there's a previous story in Genesis where a husband listened to his wife and it didn't go over very well. Can I show it to you? Go to Genesis 3. Look at verse 6. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 6. Notice what the Bible says. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. That's Eve taking of the, of the forbidden fruit there. But notice the last part of verse 6. And gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. See, the last time in Genesis that a man took orders from his wife, they literally damned the entire, you know, race of mankind to hell. I mean, you think that would have been enough of a lesson. You know, Adam, you're supposed to be in charge. Adam, you're supposed to be running the show. Adam, you're not supposed to be taking orders from Eve. And then the next time we have a husband taking orders from his wife, Ishmael is born. And this entire, you know, the, 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 the whole thing is messed up. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I think it's wise for a husband to take counsel from his wife. I think it's wise for a husband to uh, take wisdom from their wife and get their wife's opinion. I think those are good things to do. But here's what I don't agree with when you've got wives today that are bossing their husbands around. And this feminist, you know, culture we live in today where basically, because here's what they say. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll look at someone like me who preaches that, hey, wives are to submit to their husbands in all things as it is fit in the Lord. And they'll say, I can't believe you would say that. It has to be 50-50. Listen to me. Every marriage I've ever known where they were, quote-unquote, 50-50, it was the wife running the show. There is no 50-50. There has to be a leader. And look, sir, that leader needs to be you. You need to be the husband that takes responsibility, that says, no, Sarah, that's a bad idea. I don't think we're going to do that. But here you've got these women that are supposed to be submitting to their authority. They're stepping out of their roles. They're deciding they want to do this and they want to do that. They want to overstep their reach. They want to get out of their roles. And then you've got a man who's supposed to be leading, but he's passing up the responsibility. Go back to Genesis 16. Look, look what it says. Genesis 16, verse 2. And Abram hearkened. To the voice of Sarai. Look at verse number 5. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. And you know what? Her wrong was upon him. Listen, sir. It's your responsibility. You say, well, my wife did that. My children did that. No, you're the leader. Their wrong be upon thee. It's funny that Eve is the one that looked at the tree and she's the one that partook of it and she's the one that brought it to Adam and she's the one that ate of it. And then you get back, you get to the book of Romans and it's like Eve's not even mentioned. It's all Adam's fault. You know, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. You say, well, well, what about Eve? No, it's Adam's fault. 
He was the one that should have been responsible, that should have taken responsibility. They should have said, hey, we're not going to go down that road. It was Abraham's fault for allowing these things to happen. Look at verse 5 again. And Sarai said unto Abraham, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. Notice verse 6. Notice, he's not taking responsibility. He's not trying to make anything happen. He says, But Abraham said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. He says, Sarah, do whatever you want. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. That is a bad idea. <laughs> He says, you just do with her what you want. No, Abraham, why don't you step in and take responsibility and say, let's try to figure this out. Let's try to minimize the damage. Listen, husbands, you need to take responsibility for your wives. Parents need to take responsibility for their children. Today, we live in this society where people are basically brainwashed into, well, I don't make my kids do anything. You know, they just do whatever they want. That's ridiculous. You, they are your children. God gave them to you, and they are to obey their parents, and you are to make them obey. And you say, well, how long? As long as they're living in your house, and they're eating your food, and, they're, you know, and you're supporting them, you're the boss. You take responsibility for them. You tell them when to come home. You tell them what to do. Hey, look, employers need to take responsibility for their employees. Hey, and by the way, pastors need to take responsibility for their churches. The Bible says obey them that have the rule over you. And submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Sometimes there are decisions that I have to make at this church, and there are things that I say, we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. And people say, well, why are we doing that? Hey, listen to me. You're not going to stand before God for what happens in this church. I am. And and the Bible says that you're just supposed to obey. And look, I'm not trying to take, I'm not trying to lord over you. I don't care what color of car you drive. I don't care what house you live in. But when it comes to ministries in this church, guess who was in charge? It's me. And one of the biggest problems we have in church, it's not just our church, but any church, is that people want to overstep their bounds. And people want to start, you know, we're starting this Bible study. Who asked you to start that Bible study? I'm starting this ministry. Who asked you to start that ministry? Listen to me. I just like to repeat this every once in a while at Verity Baptist Church. Everything that happens in this church runs through me. And I'm the one who makes the decisions whether we do it or not. And and, and sometimes people say, well, you know, uh, and they'll they'll, they'll try to, like, shift it. And it's like, well, Brother Stuckey's. No, no, no. Brother Stuckey works for me. Well, Miss Joanne. No, no, no. Miss Joanne works for me. You know, we don't pay her. She just works, you know. Uh, you know, well, this and that. Oh, no, the ushers, they're not making decisions. They all work for one guy. It's this guy right up here. And the, the way it works is that you take, you must take leadership. You must take responsibility. Some of you men need to just go home and take that bull by the horns, no disrespect to you ladies, and just say, I'm going to fight this thing out, and I'm taking responsibility. Now, listen, ladies, he wants you to, you know, Lie for him or something? Hey, you don't have to listen to that. But you are to submit. You children need to submit to your parents as long as they're not asking you to do something that's illegal or immoral or wrong. You obey them and everything they ask you to do. Why? Because we make things worse when we step out of our roles. We make things worse when we step out of our, of, of our reach and try to overreach. And we make things worse when we refuse to take responsibility. You must take responsibility. How about this? You must take responsibility for your, your own actions. Today, you've got people who want to shift all the blame. 
You know, you've got uh, Saul's are saying, it's not my fault. It's the people's fault. It's Samuel's fault. It's everyone's fault except my fault. Why don't you take responsibility for the things you do? Why don't you take responsibility for your actions? We need a revival in America of responsibility where man will take responsibility for their children. Because here's what happens. You say, well, what's the big deal? It's just we make things worse. We make things worse. Go back to Genesis 16. Look at verse number 10. Genesis 16 and verse 10. We're talking about things that make bad situations worse. We make bad situations worse when we step out of the reach that God has given us and we try to force the hand of God. We make things worse when we step out of our roles that God has given us. We make things worse when we pass up our responsibilities. Now I want you to notice just real quickly, this isn't a long chapter tonight, so we'll, we'll be done here soon. But I want you to notice the end of the chapter. Notice what happens. Look at verse 10. And the angel Lord said unto her, because he's talking to her about her child Ishmael that she's going to have. And here's the thing. Ishmael, you could have said, was a mistake. Shouldn't have happened. And she has this Ishmael. And she's out in the wilderness. And, she's got, and she says, my, my life is a mess. Look, sometimes people come to church and sometimes we feel, you know, we've all had situations where we take a bad situation and made it worse. Some people feel like their life is a bad situation that they made worse. Sometimes we feel like my whole life's a mess. I mean, I, I, I've messed up so much. I've made so many bad decisions. I've gone down so many wrong roads. I don't even know. How to, how to fix it or where to even start. This is how Hagar probably felt. She said, I, I'm a slave. I don't even have my own freedom. I never got to marry a man that actually loved me. I got stuck giving birth to this child, and I love this child. But, you know, what's going to happen now? I'm out here in the wilderness. And, but notice what happens. Look at verse 10. And the angel Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly. Talk about Ishmael. That it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And I just want you to understand this. Sometimes we think, my life's just a big mess. Sometimes I look at our church and I think, this whole thing's a mess. You know, they need a better pastor in here. But listen to me. God has a plan even for the Ishmael. Here you say, well, Ishmael, I mean, good night. But notice God comes in and he says, you know what, Hagar? I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. She says, thou art with child and shall bear a son and shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord had heard thy affliction. He says, he says, God, Hagar, heard you. God heard your cry. God heard your weeping. God heard what you're going. He heard your affliction. He said, God heard you and I've got a plan and I've got a purpose. But he says, not only did I hear you, notice what he says, look at verse 12, and he will be a wild man, talking about her, her son. His hands will be against every man and every man's hands against him and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Notice verse 13. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her. Notice, she says, she called the name of the Lord. This is what she called the name of the Lord. Thou God seest me. You know what, you know what she was saying? She says, my whole life is a big mistake that I've made worse. My whole life's a big mess. But you know what we can learn from this passage is that God still heard her and God still saw her. God had a plan and God had a purpose. God, see, the Bible says 
in Romans 8, 28, you don't have to turn there, but the Bible says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You, you may look at your life and say, man, I just, man, things are just not going well. But listen to me. Listen to me. God hears you. God sees you. God has a plan. God has a purpose. God has a blessing. You say, I, sh I shouldn't be with this child. I shouldn't be in this situation. I shouldn't be in what I'm dealing with. Just everything is messed up. But God can work things out for good in your life and in my life. You say, even when I overreach, even when you overreach. Even when I step out, even when you step out. Even when I pass up, even when you pass up, even when you do everything wrong, there's always a God who sees and who hears. You say, even Hagar, even Hagar, even Ishmael, he saw them. He had a plan for them. He had a blessing for them. He said, Hagar, you just go back and you just endure. You just go back and you just submit. Some of you wives are in marriages. There are people that are in marriages say, am I really supposed to stay? You just submit and do what God asks you to do. And God will work it out. God has a plan. God has a purpose. God has not forgotten you. God hears you and God sees you. Let's bow our heads and I will go to prayer. Heavenly